0: And if you give yourself permission to say, yes, or I can, then you can literally accomplish uh, things that would be to most people beyond extraordinary or beyond difficult, even beyond impossible. You will hear again, you're, you're too old, it's too far, it's too hard. If you simply choose to ignore those things, then what you can accomplish will be absolutely astounding. And the journey and the process will be transformative. That's the beauty of, of every adventure. It doesn't matter how big or small.
1: I'm Peter McCulley. Bert Turhart has set out to paddle a canoe and portage across Canada, paying homage to the routes that the early explorers and First Nations used. He left Steveston in April. When Today in BC continues, Turhart talks about his solo canoe voyage and his solo trip sailing around the world.
0: From the latest community news to informative, entertaining reads for travelers and the cannabis curious. Just visit your local Black Press Media community newspaper website to sign up today.
1: We're chatting with Bert Turhart about his solo canoe trip that will take him through seven of ten of Canada's provinces. Thanks for joining us today, Bert. Uh, It's my pleasure, Peter. Where are you exactly on your route as we're chatting, and and how long has it taken you to get there?
0: Well, I'm actually sitting about 20 metres above the North Saskatchewan River maybe 20 kilometres outside of Edmonton. So I guess this is about day 53 or something like that, and I'm about sixteen or 1,800 kilometres into the trip as a whole.
1: And so have you seen many people so far along the route?
0: You'd be surprised at how few people you see. I mean, paddling through Edmonton, you'd be hard-pressed to know that you're in one of Western Canada's biggest cities. There's large sections uh, that I've paddled or walked where I've seen no one for days and days and days. It's a pretty lonely trip and very easy to get away from it all, if you so chose.
1: So I understand you're not using any modern navigation methods like GPS, even though you're talking to us on an iPhone, but you're staying true <laughs> to the methods that the explorers used to find their way across the country.
0: I'm using the same navigation, same technologies that all the early photographers used to map all of Canada, literally. So I basically have a sextant, a watch. Uh, An old watch, actually, an old pocket watch, circa 1890, actually, and tables. So very, by our standards, I suppose, primitive navigation tools, but very, very accurate. As you said, I'm using an iPhone to talk to you, so I guess I still want to come back. I just don't want to disappear in the bush.
1: I guess you're keeping that pocket watch in a Ziploc bag, too.
0: (laughs) Everything I own is in some form of Ziploc waterproof bag. Once you get wet, you stay wet for a very long time. I still haven't paddled into a place where there's not snow on the ground. Spring is very late. It's been very cold in the mountains. The rivers are very low. You know, later in the summer, if you get wet, it's not a big deal. But getting wet now is a very big deal. you will stay wet for a week to 10 days. The gear especially. The trip becomes abject misery as as opposed to just miserable.
1: (laughs) If you're staying true to the original navigational methods, uh, you probably aren't stopping at any modern accommodations along the way either.
0: No, no. The only time I've, I've been forced to do it a few times when I've been when I've not been allowed to camp. When I start to get tired, I start looking for a place that I can actually stop. And there's been one or two times when I've not been allowed to camp. You know where where I would like so that forced me into a room with a shower. So you know, it's a double edged sword.
1: Well, you're going to uh, want to be dry and warm when you finish your trip. I understand you would like to finish in northern New Brunswick in mid November on the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can you (laughs) briefly outline where the route is going to take you to get to New Brunswick?
0: Well, getting out of British Columbia is very, very difficult. Just to get out of BC, you have to go through the Fraser watershed, Fraser to the Similkameen watershed, Similkameen to the Okanagan River watershed, Okanagan River to the Shishwap River watershed, Shishwap to the Columbia River, and then finally the Columbia to the Saskatchewan. So the last jump, Columbia to Saskatchewan, you actually do that right up BC Alberta border. So those five river systems are all in BC and it's all uphill and it's a grind. But once you jump on the Saskatchewan River, you're on the Saskatchewan almost all the way to Winnipeg. So that's a very big chunk of Canada we are traveling, in essence, what was a for indigenous people and for early explorers and cartographers, it's basically a superhighway. So it's a real pleasure to be paddling downstream on the Saskatchewan. Once you're on the Saskatchewan, then essentially basically Lake Winnipeg or Winnipeg goes to Manitoba, depending on the weather. And then from Kenora to Lake of the Woods, and then eventually the Kamistakwa River, which takes you to Thunder Bay. And from Thunder Bay, then it's uh, skirting the north shore of Lake Superior. Lake Superior, then to St. Marie, eventually into the French River, North Bay, Mattawa River, finally over the Mattawa River, and into the Ottawa River, and finally the St. Lawrence. I'll finish up on the Matapedia, which is some of your own stomping grounds. So it's a long way to go.
1: This route, I understand, includes areas that some of Canada's best-known cartographers explored. You touched on it briefly. Some examples would be Thompson, Fraser, and Mackenzie.
0: Yeah, the Saskatchewan River, the North Saskatchewan River, the South Saskatchewan River, are some of Canada's most important geographical inflection points, because these were the staging areas that people like Thompson, Mackenzie, Fiddler, Turner, eventually Joseph Tyrell as well, that those guys used to travel so that would include the Mississippi Watershed, parts of the United States, which Thompson surveyed as well because he was the first European down the Columbia River. So it stretches up to Lake Athabasca, and then from Athabasca, Mackenzie went down what is now known as the Mackenzie River. So from the Saskatchewan River, you basically can touch almost all of Canada. It was the pathways used by Indigenous people, whether it was for um, traditional ceremony or hunting. Of course, when they were guiding the early fur traders, the early cartographers and explorers and mapmakers, makers, that's, that's the route they were on a very big part of Canada's history that, I know, personally, I feel is, is underappreciated. It's one of the reasons I'm doing this trip. I'm hoping that people will take a little bit more of an interest in those parts of Canada that are literally right on their doorstep that are really important to quite literally on the map. The map of Canada is really a footprint of, of Indigenous people and the footprint of, of Indigenous people in these waterways. Recently,
1: we chatted with the Porter family of Vancouver who are flying around the world in a single-engine airplane. They've got, they've got five people on the plane, and each member of the family can only take 20 pounds of personal belongings with them. And since you are portaging, shall I assume that you're watching closely how much you're packing into the canoe?
0: Yes, you would be absolutely right, Peter. It's critical how much weight you carry. It's not just that you have to carry it. It's just a substantial difference between paddling a loaded canoe and a canoe that's empty. So uh, weight really matters. Every ounce counts. I spent a lot of time, you know, paring down clothing and bits of kit and whatnot because paddling the canoe is impacted greatly by the weight, and then I have to carry it all. So walking to D.C., there was close to 600 kilometers of walking, which meant towing the canoe behind me on a trailer. And the canoe and, it, and all its gear inside weighs close to 200 pounds, so, you know, it's a bit of a thing. A one-kilometer portage turns into five kilometers when you have to make all the trips with the packs and the canoe, so it very quickly becomes burdensome, Shall so we say what
1: kind of food are you packing on the trip? If you're watching the weight, I guess you're not taking a, a case or two of beans.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. One of the good things about doing this trip is you can eat whatever you want. You burn, like, six to 7,000 calories a day just doing the paddling, even paddling downstream. But, again, weight matters. And I guess I'm not a, a fussy eater. Is as boring as it sounds. Every meal is, is the same. You know, breakfast is porridge and dried and dried fruit and, and dried nuts, and uh, lunch is just a long series of snacks. Whether it's uh, granola bar or a bunch of granola bars, or whether it's jerky, or whether it's some kind of wrap, um, lunch is very simple, but it's it's always the same. But that's very simple. There's two reasons for that. One, you can pack a lot of porridge and oatmeal into a very small space. It cooks very quickly. It's nutritious. Um, the other thing is, I can reprovision basically anywhere I stop. You're never too far in Canada from a Tim Horton 7-Eleven, so I can buy almost everything I need in the 7-Eleven.
1: When Today in B.C. continues, Bert Turhart talks about sailing around the world.
0: Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know.
1: I'm Peter McCulley. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. Bert Turhart is paddling and portaging his way across Canada. Bert, when you complete the trip, you'll have become the first person to cross the continent in this fashion under your own steam. That's quite an accomplishment, and to do it in your 60s must feel pretty good.
0: Some people, I suppose, are surprised at how old I am. I mean, I don't really consider myself old, although I guess I'm approaching senior citizen status. I'm very lucky in that I don't have problems with my knees or, or hips or anything like that. so I'm, I'm pretty healthy, and I just feel blessed to be able to do something like this. The age, you know, eventually will catch up to me. It just hasn't caught up to me yet. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, it would, it would seem that you like to set the bar pretty high for yourself. You're one of nine people to sail solo around the world using the same types of navigational instruments that you're going to use on your canoe trip. So what inspired you to do that?
0: Well, I've sailed extensively on the on the west coast of Canada, and my sailing has always been in the footsteps and or, or the wakes, I should say, of, of people like Bly, Vancouver, La Perouse, Quadro, because they were all on BC's western coast about the same time that Thompson and Mackenzie and Fiddler and all those guys were surveying on the interior of of what we know as Canada. So. It's a really important bit of Canadiana, and it's a very compacted time. So I just love to be in those places where I knew Vancouver had anchored his ships, where I knew his small boats had gone out serving, and it's unchanged. It's literally looking at the same trees that Bly looked at. There's places in the Sound, it's, you know, it's Bly Island, it's Bly Cove. You can literally walk those shores and look at literally the same trees, the same paths that, that, that those guys did. So I find that very inspiring. And these were important people doing things that were extraordinary for the time, and, and remain extraordinary to this day. So I wanted to experience what they might have experienced when they were at sea doing what they were doing. So uh, that was part of the motivation for sailing around the world nonstop using the same navigational methods that they did. Of course, they stopped everywhere they could, but it was just a different challenge to do it, of course, by yourself, and then again, uh, nonstop. So I thought it was a natural extension of the trip around the world to then go across Canada.
1: How long did that trip around the world take you?
0: Um, I was at sea for 267 days. So that's 267 days out of sight of land and by yourself in a small boat in a very big ocean. So it's a, it's a long time. But the trip took a little longer than I would hoped because of, you know, weather and other things. Just under 29,000 nautical miles. It's very hard to sail from the west coast of North America around the world via the 5 Great cape. There's, there's so much upwind work. People that, that sail know that going upwind is a bit like sticking needles in your eyes. I to travel more than 10,000 kilometers upwind it's a bit of a challenge, very hard on the boat. The boat just takes a horrible beating, and it's hard on you because you can't do anything inside the boat without, you know, hanging on with both hands and both seats.
1: Well, I grew up in canoes and kayaks and sailboats on the East Coast. That's why we're chatting today. It really sparked my interest to chat with you. And to borrow a nautical term, I just can't really fathom how much work (laughs) would go into keeping everything as it should be while you're at sea by yourself for 267 days. You probably didn't sleep for more than a couple hours at a time.
0: Over the 250-some days, I never slept more than four hours in any 24-hour period. And I never slept more than two hours at a stretch. My sleep cycle was 90 minutes. That's as long as I would allow myself to sleep because the conditions change. The sails need constant attention. The ferry needs constant attention. And the navigation is very challenging because it's traditional. You don't just press a button to figure out where you are. So I was spending you know, up to three hours a day just making sure I knew where I was, knew where I was going. It's very time-consuming. I tried to be asleep between 3 and 4.30 if possible. And after that, it was anything goes. What, what is interesting about that is I tried sleeping for an hour. I think I could, you know, could fall asleep for an hour and then wake up and, and then be coherent. But after a month of that, I was basically a vegetable. I, my mental faculties were seriously degraded. I was stumbling around the boat. I was really uncoordinated, and I, I really couldn't figure out why. So there's this very slow degradation in the physically and mentally. It was just because I wasn't sleeping long enough. So... I kept increasing, you know, how much I was sleeping until I got to what was sort of an optimum. And it turns out for me that's 90 minutes.
1: On that trip, was there any time that you were worried that you might not make it?
0: It's a very, very dangerous place to be. And it's, it's a very easy place to disappear and not come back. I wasn't so much afraid of not coming back. I mean, it's very easy to sail the boat to bits. But be very careful about driving the boat until it literally falls apart. Because as soon as you leave the dock, you're running out of everything, spare parts, food and water, you name it. So anything goes wrong with the boat, then you have a real issue. And, of course, like any other machine, it needs constant maintenance. And like any other machine, it's going to break down. So the constant use in the very extreme environment and the very hard use means that you're going to be breaking things. I was afraid, lots. I mean, to be to be not afraid, you'd have to be either a psychopath or a sociopath. I'm not sure which, but you can be very scared, but you just can't be scared witless. So you just have to have a plan B and a plan C and a D E F G H I J K. So it doesn't matter what's going on; you just have to have an option that that you're going to try next. As long as you're thinking and thinking ahead, then you'll be fully engaged. You just can't park yourself down below and strap yourself in and just start worrying. There's lots of times to be scared. On three separate occasions, for example, I stuck the mast underwater. So it's a very big boat, almost a 55-foot mast, and the mast is no longer sticking straight up and down. It's sticking down at about a 120-degree angle from the vertical. So the boat is almost upside down, and I'm swimming up to the cockpit. There's lots of chances for things to go very badly wrong, but as long as you've got a plan for that and moving forward in some way, shape, or form and really thinking about not coming back, you're thinking about you know what, what you can do to come back.
1: Bert, how can folks follow your canoe trip across the country?
0: Well, it's very easy. I'll go uh, there's a website, kainani.ca, K A I N A N I.ca, and on there there's a satellite tracker. So I ping my location usually twice a day, basically 24 7, you pretty much know exactly where I am. On that webpage, there's social media links to a Facebook page, to Instagram. There's a good visual record of what I'm seeing, and I'm writing something every day. There's something about what my emotional, mental, and sort of spiritual state is. Um, it's been extraordinary so far that, that the trip has just been out of this world. It's been far more than I expected, and I had very high hopes given you know, what I had done previously.
1: I recently read a quote from you talking about can and cannot, which I found pretty inspirational.
0: Well, I think that you know, we touched upon you know how, how old I am, and you also over the course of your life here, you will hear many more no's than you will hear yeses. You'll hear many more cannots than can. You only need one yes. You'll hear many no's, but you just need to have one yes, just one can. And If you give yourself permission to say yes or I can, then you can literally accomplish uh, things that would be to most people beyond extraordinary or beyond difficult, you know, even beyond impossible. You will hear again, you're, you're too old, it's too far, it's too hard. If you simply choose to ignore those things, then what you can accomplish will be absolutely astounding, and the journey and the process will be transformative. That's the beauty of, of every adventure. It doesn't matter how big or small,
1: I'd like to thank Bert Turhart for being with us on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google Podcasts.